we're seated and we continue on with our, our generosity series we have this week and next week, and, and we will be finished uh, in the series of generosity. And if you're taking notes, you can just put up right there at the top, what is the point? What is the point? And just put a question mark behind it, and we will answer that question as we go through these first nine verses of chapter nine. You know, every month you receive uh, that notice in the mail, and we call them bills, when you collect them, and, and you know that when you open up that envelope, it may sting a little bit, you know, when you look at that number, that final number of how much you owe for the month of using the water that you used, or the electricity that was run in the house, or you know that that car that you have that you love driving around, you know that payment is going to be requested, and, and now in the day in which we live, you can forego the paper statements, and it can just go electronically. So maybe for you, it, it's now an email. It's not actually an envelope that shows up, but it's a reminder. It's to say, hey, it's time to pay this. You, know, you, you have these things. You, you have certain luxuries, uh, certain gifts that you have, and, and you have to pay for these things. And we say luxuries, we say gifts, because you think of running water, you think of electricity, and we're blessed to have those things because the majority of people around the world aren't as blessed to have what we have. But there comes time for reminders, for accountability, to say, hey, if you don't pay this, then next month you're not going to have that running water, or you may not have that electricity, or you, um, you, know, you may be in trouble if you don't catch up on the car payments. And, and there's many of us in the room saying, hey, I know what it's like to, to miss a payment. I know what it's like to get that phone call for that fear to sink into our hearts. And, and it's not a fun feeling, but it's, a, it's accountability. It's saying if you have these things, you must be held accountable to come through and, and provide and, and pay for these things. And today, as we look in this passage, Paul is sending out a message of accountability. He's saying, hey, I'm just reminding you where you started. You were very excited of what was happening and, and being able to give to Jerusalem. And I'm sending you a reminder just that you would come through in these things. But you see, when we go to give in the local church, as we give, we're not giving to repay a debt. Okay, so uh, say when offering plates come by and we make that payment, it's not a payment to say this is to help cover the debt that I owe towards God. And I hope we all understand that, that that's not the reason that we pass offering plates. When we serve here in the local church, it's not to repay a debt. Well, if I can sign up for an area of ministry here at Perimeter Road, if I can be a greeter, or if I can be a, a section host, or if I can be on the hospital visitation team, and I can serve well on that, that helps cover the debt that I owe. It's a payment back to God. Maybe, maybe you see it that way. When you sign up to um, pray for someone, when you sign up to be in a, a community group and, and to teach and, and use your gifts uh, to come up here and sing or, or whatever it may be, and you say, I'm doing these things to help cover the debt that I owe back to the Lord. And the debt which we are talking about is our sin, because we've all sinned in this room. That's something we all have in common across the way. We've all sinned. We've all failed miserably. I mean, we haven't even come close to hitting the ball of perfection. And so since we have fallen short, that debt has separated us from God. Okay? Y'all with me? So we're not giving. We're not serving. We're not doing as if to repay that debt. No, that debt 
has already been paid. Amen? And that's good news. I mean, that's what we sing about, the grace that has been given to us, what Jesus did for us on the cross when he shed his blood. When he didn't, as we said last week, a quote that I read, he didn't tithe his blood, he gave it all. When he shed his blood on the cross, that blood covers every sin that you've ever committed and will commit. As a follower of Christ, all of your sins have been atoned for. So that when you serve or when you give, it's not to repay a debt. You give and you serve because the debt has already been paid. You see the difference? And that's good news. That that brings confidence. That brings joy in our giving. And that is all a background. That is a foundation. Paul has already laid that foundation with the Corinthians already. And I wanted to remind us today that when we're looking and he's writing to them, this has already been spoken of, the, the debt that has been paid, the foundation of which they stand upon. And now he's reminding them, hey, you need to come through on your word. So if you're taking notes, here we go. If y'all follow with me. The first point, our generosity is contagious. I mean, we've been talking about generosity for the fall here. And I just wanted to let you know that generosity is contagious. Man, it catches on when you see one person going and showing generosity, it's, it's curiosity for us to want to know why they're being so generous. And then it can catch on from one to another. Read with me in, in verse 1 again. Now, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. That, that word superfluous, man, it just flows off the mouth. But, but, but basically what it means is there's no need for me to write to you, guys. That's what he's saying. There's no need for me to write this to you. He says, verse 2, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has already um, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So, when we first began in chapter 8, if you didn't look at it as a whole, if you didn't read to the end here, you would think that it was the Macedonians who started this endeavor of giving. But it wasn't. And we've, we've bragged about, we boasted about the Macedonians and, the, and their love for the church and how they've given. But it didn't start with them. It actually started with Corinth. It actually started with the Corinthians. They were excited. They were spurred on. And then it caught fire. It was contagious to those in Macedonia. But it just so happened that the Macedonians, once it caught fire for them, man, they went full blaze. I mean, they went forward. Now, the Corinthians have kind of been put on hold. I mean, there's a flicker, there's a flame there, there's excitement still, but it's not like it was in the beginning. So they're kind of at a standstill. So Paul's writing to them saying, now know that when we come to collect, you're going to be ready. Saying, you better be ready. That's what Paul's getting across to them. But, you know, when you read the word, sometimes you can read right over things. But as I've been reading over this passage over and over, something caught my attention this last part of chapter 2, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. All in Macedonia were not stirred. Not every last person, but most of them within the church, I believe that he's referring to here. But why not all of them? That's the question that I have asked myself. And, you know, it's a reality that it's rare that you see within the church, and in, in, in a local church, and let's just say from town to town as we're reading about here in Corinthians, 
that you see a local church batting a thousand to where every last person, a part of the church, is encouraged, is stirred up and ready to give, that everybody is giving, that, we're, that they're perfect in that endeavor. But that's not the case. It's not the case here in Macedonia. It's not the case with the Corinthians. And it's not the case among us. There's, there are things that hold us back from all of us at one time following through in obedience. Ways in which we are hindered. Things that keep us from moving forward with the excitement that the other people show around us. You know, I don't know what it may be for us. I don't know what it may be for you. That when we mention generosity, you go, oh yeah, generosity again. Okay. I'm I'm listening. And then walk out and there's nothing that happens in the heart. You hear of zeal and excitement, and we see people being baptized, and we talk about giving. And last week, there were people who couldn't wait just to write down areas to serve. And just because you didn't write down something last week, I'm not referring and saying that you're not filled with zeal, but there's times when we just kind of lag behind. And I'm not pointing at all of you and saying that all of you are just guilty. I'm guilty as well. There are times when I'm not filled with the zeal to go and, and to give, with the generosity that other people show. I see it and I'm going, yeah, that, that's great for you guys, you know, but I'm kind of like right here in my life right now and I'm comfortable. I'm going to stay just right here. You know, it's good that you're giving, that you, you know, you give offerings and that you financially give, but right now, no, you just don't know what's going on in my life. I'm going to settle in right here. And so that's something that we could easily read over, but it's rare that we see that a church full of people are all giving at one time. But it can be contagious. And it doesn't mean that because that's fact that we see this in the local churches, that just because we can do a a giving program or do messages based on generosity, which we um, prefer to do, doesn't mean that right now, if you're not stirred, that you can't be stirred, that you can't be excited to give, that you can't be excited to serve. It means that you need to be honest with this and that you need to take it before the Lord today. So may you be encouraged as we continue to read along. So we see that generosity is contagious, and I pray that our generosity may become contagious among us and among this community, just as it was among the Corinthians and the Macedonians. But also, accountability serves as a reminder for us to hold true to our word. Accountability serves as a reminder for us to hold true to our word. Verse 3, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, listen to this, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. I mean, Paul leaves nothing behind. I mean, he says, you know, if we come and you're not ready to give, and, it, and, and this is how it's going to play out, that when we arrive and we say, hey, are you guys ready to give? And you have that look on your face like, who, me? Like, me? you want me to give? You know, are we really supposed to do that? Like, I know we talked about that last year. We were excited, but some other things have come up. No, he's saying, you be ready because I have been telling them about your excitement. And if we show up and you're not ready, I'm going to be humiliated. 
And it's not personal for Paul as if that's just a true reflection upon Paul, but it's in a humiliation for the local church because all the grace that has been bestowed upon them, so much that they have come through, and then to be excited and to lead this charge, and then when people want to meet them and come and see them, and they go, oh, yeah, we were, we were excited. We're, we're not excited anymore. You see, we need accountability, and, and to see that Paul is writing to them and saying, be ready. What about accountability for us today and the things that we say we're going to do, being a part of a local church? Well, there's three main ways that I see that we are held accountable. One is through the Bible, through the teaching and preaching and studying of the Word. This is a main accountability for us. So as you come today and, and you open up your Bibles and we're, and we're going through this passage, this is accountability. This is encouragement. This is a challenge to say, hey, listen to what God's Word is pointing out for us. And may you follow God's Word. This is a huge accountability in our lives. Not only for this morning, but that this evening you may have this word open. And that all throughout the week you may have this word open. For many of you who have been here for quite some time, you've heard me say this time and again, but I'm going to say it again. The enemy, his goal, your flesh, the, the, the thing that pulls against you to do these things, is pulling you not to open up the Bible. Just to not open it up just to keep it closed. Because if we keep it closed, then we're not receiving the instruction from God. We're receiving the instruction from ourselves and from culture around us and from other people. Other people become our little messiahs and our saviors, and we run to them instead of coming to our main source of accountability. That's when you get into false doctrines to where you have local churches that are being driven through prophecies and dreams right now, and you go to them and say, what about the studying of God's word? And they say, well, yeah, I know a few verses, but you know what? I just love Jesus. You, it's not one or the other. Like this word here, the word of God drives you to love Jesus more and more and to be reminded of all that he has done for you. This grace, it is through every page of the Bible. So we can never say, hey, what's your, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite chapter? What's your favorite verse? Not that we like to pick out things because it means something in our life, but all of this together has such value to hold us accountable. We have the word of God. And, and Paul is instructing them, say, hey, follow the word. Do what you say you're going to do. But for us, we, we look at the word of God and it holds us accountable. It, it examines our lives. We measure our lives by the word of God because here's what we will do, church. You will find somebody, a group of people, whoever it may be, and you will measure your life by them. And you'll say, I'm okay as long as I look at this person. And, and we like to do that. We like to pick and choose. We do this in all areas of our lives. But when it comes to the word of God, we can't make exceptions for our lives. We're held accountable to all of it. So we have the word of God, the preaching and the studying, the teaching of God's word. But then also the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Because when the blood of Jesus covers us, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. The difference between a follower of Christ and a non follower of Christ, an unbeliever, the difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. Today I come before you and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that God's word would be spoken through the power of the Holy Spirit and that you too would be led by the Holy Spirit. 
It's amazing to see that what has happened because what Jesus did on the cross opened up the way for us to come into a relationship with God. And today you can have this relationship with God and his spirit lives in you. You don't get any closer than that. He's not watching you from a distance. Okay, yeah, he is. I mean, he's everywhere. He sees all things, but he's inside of you. Like you can't run away from God, Christian. You can't run away from God because he's inside of you. That's accountability. That's that discomfort that you feel, that conviction that you feel, that pain that you feel, that frustration that you feel when you know that you're walking in disobedience. That's that uncomfortable feeling that you have, that uneasiness that you may have even right now. That The Holy Spirit may be working in you saying, this is the area of disobedience. This is where you're not following God's word. It's accountability in our lives. So we have it through The Word of God, we have it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have it also through the church. So as you're here today, church, understand that when I refer to the church, as I often remind you, it's not the building, it's not the windows, it's not the chandeliers, it's not any of these things. The church is you and me, the people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And as we come together, we encourage one another to be faithful in service. You know what I love is that we're going to see this in our local church, that as a little time goes forward, and as we roll into 2015, all of you are going to be serving in different areas, and it's going to spur other people on who are not there yet. There may be something going on in their life, but they're not there yet, that they would be encouraged and held accountable to come along as a member of the local church and to serve. But also in giving, when you, when you give financially, church, And we all do this together. It's an accountability one to another that we're all a part of giving. We all have different jobs, different places of life, wherever God has us. And for the Macedonians, remember, they were flat broke. And yet they're an encouragement to the Corinthians who had much more money than they had. They're saying, hey, you know, when I show up, these, these Macedonians who are flat broke, they need to know that there are people here that are excited to give as well. Don't let us down. Don't let us down. Look, we serve together as one, and we need to hold each other accountable through the teaching of God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the church. We, the church, are not above accountability. You see, the Bible is filled with men and women who loved the Lord and then turned and failed miserably. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that, church, that when you read in the Old Testament and you go, oh, man, these people... These are saints. These are heroes. But they were heroes one moment, and they were zeros the next moment. We see it all throughout the grand story. You have a a, a man striking a rock when he is supposed to be speaking to a rock. You have one man, a king, who is misbehaving in the bedroom when he should be leading on the battlefield. You have a people group that are dearly loved by God who turned their backs on him repeatedly as they freely chose to worship the creation rather than the creator. And it goes on and on and on as you see the men and the women through the Bible, failure after failure after failure. They love the Lord. They love the Lord, but then there was failure that would follow them, them not being able to hold to God's word. That's man's greatest problem. We can't hold to God's commands. We break them. We fall short of them. Christ has fulfilled them all. And like these mentioned above, we are prone to make bold promises and commitments only to find them fade away in time. And we say, why? Why is this? Why why am I 
so ready to commit to something, and yet then it just kind of fades as, as time goes along. Why am I not holding to these commitments, these promises that I said I would uphold? If generosity is contagious, why can't we be stirred with great zeal for Christ and his church and it just be happily ever after from that point? Why can't you become a Christian and say, from this point forward, there's nothing but obedience. Never going to fail. I'm always going to be faithful, Lord. And we may feel that way sometimes. Just recently, a story between a a father and a son, a a little boy, he, he disobeyed his parents. The father told him, he says, son, you're, you're going to receive punishment for this discipline because of what you have done. We've warned you. We've told you time and again, it's time for you to receive discipline. This is not fun. Your mother and I, we do not enjoy doing these things. Took the boy to his bedroom, gave him his spankings, and then they sat there together. The dad held the son as the son cried, and then the son looks up at the dad, and he says, dad, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt mommy. And then the son said this. I promise you, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. And as the dad looked at the son, he wanted to believe him, but he knew in his heart. He, he admired the, the, the turning, the conviction that the sorrow that was in the son, but he knew that the son would disobey again. But there is a picture between us and God when we say, God, I am sorry for all that I've done. Like, I will never, ever do this again. I will never fall short in this area again. I will always hold to my word. And I believe that's the picture where God looks at us and says, I forgive you. But I know you will do it again. That's why the price has already been paid. That's a beautiful picture of grace. And at times while we say, why do we keep falling? There will be times in which we fall. This is not a precursor for us to go and sin more. No, it's something for us to understand that while we're on this earth, we will still fail, but we can trust in what Christ did on the cross for us. And we can trust in Christ fully. And when we trust in his grace, we come right back to the Lord and we confess these things and we get right back in line. We fail in these things because we still have self-gratifying desires that mislead us to doubt, to fear, to cheat, to hide, and be filled with self-pity. This is just to name a few. In Galatians 5, Paul speaks of living by the Spirit so you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Just know that what we see in Galatians 5, it's an ongoing battle for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, you're in a battle for holiness. Just like any battle, there are times when you are prone to grow weary and faint or forgetful. And in this text, Paul is the soldier, the co-laborer in Christ that says, hey, remember your commitment? Remember your zeal? Let's go. Follow through. Finish the fight. Fulfill your word. We are counting on you. And he continued in verse 5, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it might be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So it's, it's something that's already waiting. You're willing to give it. 
not saying, okay, well, let me see what we can scrounge up here. Let me see what we can find. No, we're a people that are ready to give, ready to help others. As we said we would do, we will hold to our word as God has held to his word. You see, accountability spurs only willingness to follow and to give and to serve. We are a people that easily revert back to our old selves. Every day, every moment is the opportunity for you to revert back to your old self. You know, many of you, I didn't know you before you were a follower of Christ. And you tell me stories of what you used to be like. And I I have a hard time believing that because of who you are now until we go and play softball or do something like that as a church. And I go, oh, that's you. Okay, I see it. I see it now. Okay, there you are. We, we, we like to revert back to our old selves at times because it's, it's so natural, so comfortable. And yet we revert back to our old selves when we get away from these areas of accountability that we have spoken about. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, we say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, there's something new that has come. The old has passed away. But although it has passed away, it doesn't mean that it's not there, that we can't still live in the flesh. While we're here on this earth, you can still live in the flesh. Daily, there is a battle against spirit and flesh. And if left up to your natural going out through the day without reading the word, without praying and seeking the Lord, without joining close to the local church, without seeking God, you will live in the flesh and you will live in the flesh freely. And you will like areas of the flesh. You will, you will grow accustomed to the areas of the flesh once again that you thought were dead in your life, but then it's still going to produce the same results it always has. It's going to be disappointing. And it's going to separate you from a rich, genuine fellowship with the Lord. Not a, a losing of salvation, but a genuine fellowship you have as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, Paul says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after a likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You have been created now in the likeness of God. From the very beginning, we were created in his image, and then we were marred when man and woman disobeyed God, and now we have been made into a new creation, into the likeness of God. So as you live by the Spirit, you were living in the likeness of God. Accountability to do just that. You may have had an amazing conference, a men's conference or a women's conference back in 2005, Passion, 2007, 2008, 9, 10, 11, whatever it may be. Students, you may have gone to a, an amazing youth camp last year or the year before. And you may at a time just said, I will never be the same after this. No, I'll never be the same. Whether it's an experience you had in your life or a book that you read, whatever it could be, or a church service, you could have left this place and you said, I'll never be the same again. And then you find yourself going back to that old self that you used to be. You said, I thought I put that old self to death. I thought at that conference, I had it nailed down. I mean, I even told the Lord, never again, never again. And it's just the little boy looking to his dad saying, I won't do it again. And the father knows you're going to do it again. That shouldn't defeat you. That should encourage you to know that it's going to be a daily fight. It's not enough to live by one moment, one conference, one youth retreat. One service, one service a week, that's not enough. We need to be filled daily, church, with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be encouraged often. 
to put away the old self. Why? So we can be in the likeness of God. And we see in verse 6 as we continue on that God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the point. We ask the, the question, what is the point? Here it is. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So although he's saying, be ready, he's still saying, whatever you have decided in your heart, remember, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But when it comes to our flesh, we like to know that we can sow sparingly, but reap bountifully. What's the the smallest part that I can put in with the greatest reward. And we do this. We do this in, in many areas of our lives. In some areas, it's, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's called a bargain. Okay? I want a bargain. Let me look at the papers. Let me take my coupons. Some of you may be awesome coupon shoppers, and you're very disciplined in that. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? And, and you want the best deals. It's the smallest you can put in to get the greatest reward in these things. We can save on time and money and energy and still net a good profit margin. So what's the problem with that? That sounds good. But the problem with putting in little and expecting more in return when it comes to our generosity as followers of Christ is this. It begins in our hearts. It's the motive behind our giving. If you go at it and say, what's the littlest, what's the smallest amount that I can give and expect great results? You don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that the ones who complain the most are the ones who give the less. I don't know if that's fact. But that could be in the local church. We expect great things, all things provided for us with, with little put in. Not to say that if you put more in that you have more voice either. No, we, we give because of the grace that has been shown to us. I mean, that's the standard. But it begins in our hearts. We ask this question, do you love what God loves? Will you listen to these questions and just ask this to yourself, do you love what God loves? Are you growing in your love for God and his people? Like from the time you became a follower of Christ, are you growing more in love with the Lord? Are you growing more in love with the people, with the church? Now, you know the church is pretty messed up at times. You still love the people. Been married eight years. October 14th, it was eight years. I love my wife more now than I did when I married her. I do. I, I love her more now. She's beautiful. She's awesome. I mean, she's an amazing woman, amazing mother. And I look at that, that love has, has grown and it keeps growing. And I'm thinking, wow, I had no idea. What about for the local church? Do you just have this love growing? Did you want to see the local church just thrive? to go communicate the good news because you know it's only the good news that's going to change lives. You, the work he has called you to do, do you love it? If not, your generosity will seem forced and it will be anything but cheerful. I mean, you can still give and not have a cheerful heart. You find yourself giving with a sense of loss as if you're losing instead of gaining. Or if I give my time or if I give my money, whatever it may be, I'm losing. I can't afford to lose these things right now. It, we see it as loss instead of a, a great gain. There is great gain 
when we give, church, when we are generous. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply your need according, your need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need. Do you hear that? Every need of yours. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, before you go, oh, I give and I get great things in return. Let that be my motive. No, it's, it's book-ended. Listen to this, church, as we're, we're coming to the home stretch. You like that, how I said that. I didn't say we're about to end. We're saying come to the home stretch. Listen, it's book-ended with all the grace that has been shown to us up front, and then we have this great generosity, and we know that there will be great return. And it's not that you're going to have all this great wealth, necessarily, it's not that all your debt is going to be covered because you gave this, this one time. Not necessarily. No, it's not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel that many are abusing and forcing upon the church. No. It's that the great return is that you see the fruit of the labor of the church glorifying God. And that is a great return, far greater than any other return that you could receive here on this earth. That's the great increase. The grace generosity, continuing to see that grace abound. Which transitions right into this last point. God is able. God is able. Sounds pretty simple, right? God is able. Why did Paul have to tell them that? Didn't they already know that God is able? I mean, didn't all these people that we mentioned already, didn't they know that God is able? Sure. They can say it with their mouth, but many times in their heart, they don't believe it. And the truth is for us too, we can say it with our mouths, but in our hearts, do we really believe that God is able? Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. We see three things here. All sufficient. So that having all sufficiency, Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that he doesn't leave us. Christ is with us, working in us. God doesn't just leave us stranded. As we show this great generosity, as we live for him daily, God is able to strengthen you, to provide for you. He will not leave you. You can never ask, hey, God, where are you? Where did you go? No, the question is, where did you go? Where did I go? God's faithful. God's always there. In all things. To provide all things. Nothing is impossible with God, Luke one thirty-seven, or nothing is too hard for the Lord, Genesis 18.14. So when we doubt that God is able, is it because we feel like he can't provide for us or that there are certain things that God is unable to provide for us? In all times. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God observes all all things at all times. Nothing is beyond his watch. So maybe we feel like there are times or periods when God is not looking upon us anymore, when God has forgotten about us. Understand, it's never 
been about God forgetting us. The problem has been that we have forgotten about God. All of us in our struggle with daily obedience, we forget God and his promises. That may sound harsh. It may be hard to swallow, but that is the truth. You want to be generous? Remember God. It's not that God has ever forgotten about us. No, God sees us. He observes us. He sees all things. And God is able. It's just that we are not left unto ourselves. But the good news is today, listen, the good news is this. You don't have to live by yourself. You don't have to be alone. Christ fills you. Christ satisfies you. Christ sustains you. Christ makes you whole and complete. I'm a married man. I love my wife. I love my kids. But they cannot sustain me. They cannot fill me. They cannot make me complete. I didn't become a complete man when I said I do at an altar. No, I became a complete man in Christ when I died to myself and I rose in Christ. I was complete in Christ because of all that Christ has done for me. Doesn't mean I'm not a work in progress to look more like God, but complete I am in Christ. Today you can be complete in Christ. So that the relationships that you have, the friendships you have, you can show great generosity one to another. And in the local church, we can share this great generosity as we continue to reach just the one mile radius and beyond Valdosta, the world for Christ. That they would be caught off guard by our generosity. Here's how it ends today. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Have you been crucified in Christ? Have you died to yourself and now you live in Christ? You live, yes, you have a beating heart, you have flesh, but it's Christ who lives in you now. If you're here today and Christ doesn't live in you, you you haven't died to yourself and, and Christ become the king of your life, today would you receive the grace of God by following his son Jesus? Nothing else. May nothing else grab your attention at this moment, but today would you receive the grace of God and would you follow Jesus Christ? I'm going to be standing right in the back there. There will be other pastors, counselors standing right in the back. That's an important question. If you cannot answer that confidently, we would love to talk to you about following Jesus, but it's, it's confessing your sins and trusting what Christ has done for you on the cross. That's where generosity begins in your life, true genero- generosity in the eyes of God, because no one has been more generous than God and the grace that he has lavished upon us. So what is the point of all this today? As Paul is writing, he says, what is the point? Well, we know that our generosity is contagious. Accountability serves as a reminder for us to hold true to our word, to do what we say we're going to do. We need that accountability. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able. Point, God loves a cheerful giver, and he is able to make all grace abound to you. So give what you have 
determined in your hearts to give and hold one another accountable to live out a life of generosity filled with God's grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your generosity towards us. Next week, as we close this series, we will give all thanks to you once again. Father, we know that as the church, we often need to be reminded to be generous one to another, not just financially, but in our love for one another, our service to one another. God, I thank you for the church today and just the listening ears. Father, I pray that your word has gone to penetrate hearts today, hearts that are void of Christ, that before they leave will be filled with Christ. Father, I pray that you will do a work among us at this time of people who have repentance and looking to you. Father, I pray for the church that with this accountability that we would each examine our own lives of what we have determined to give and and serve. And, And Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit we are impressed to continue to strive in these areas to grow in our sanctification, to grow in our willingness to serve to give. Lord, may it not be under compulsion, but may it be through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a great love for all the grace that you have shown us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I ask now that you work in this place as we continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.